Sound of Truth starts now. Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, as we seek to inform, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with Christ through engaging interviews of ordinary people in whom God is doing an extraordinary work. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited that you've chosen to join us. In our previous Sound of Truth interview, I had the honor of talking with my friend Alan Duncan, who is currently serving as an associate pastor at Manly Baptist Church in Morristown, Tennessee. And in that previous episode, Alan shared with us his story of being raised in Kenya, coming to faith in Christ as a nine-year-old, recommitting his life to Christ in high school, I believe is what you said, Alan. Right. And that's where we left off the story because we had a lot of chit-chat in the midst of that story. But we're going to pick up where we left off last time. And I believe we had you having recommitted your life to Christ and being excited about sharing the gospel with your friends. Let's pick up the story there. Okay. Now, I will say this. I, I, I was in the States when that happened for that one year, my ninth grade year. And I went to Powell High School that year. And I also went to a University of Tennessee football game. First time I'd ever been to a major college football game. I was watching this game and, you know, I grew up in Kenya. Like I said, I spent my life playing soccer in the backyard with my African buddies. I I was aware of the fact that there weren't a lot of soccer players in the United States back in the 1960s. Let me just put it to you bluntly. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm crazy about sports. And uh, anyway, we're watching this UT play, and they're playing Penn State, as a matter of fact. They beat Penn State first night game ever at Nayland Stadium. And while I was watching this game, there was this guy that would run out on the field barefooted and kick the ball through the upright. And I knew I didn't have a lot of soccer options uh, coming, coming back to the States when I was going to finish high school in a few years. So I, I decided – I'd broken my collarbone, so I decided to try out for the Powell football team in the middle of the season as a kicker. So they had, I get, I bet I was the first soccer style kicker in the Knox County Interscholastic <laughs> High School League. But uh, I, I think I had, they, they let me try two kicks in, in that season. And then I, I went back, sadly, to Africa. I remember telling my dad, how am I ever going to make it in college football, Dad? You don't let me stay. There's a family that would let me stay with him. But he said, son, God called her family to Africa. If he wants you to be the place at the University of Tennessee, he'll work it out in his way, his time, so he'll get the glory. Is that right? And uh, once once again, I got to go back to Africa. <laughs> and so, and, now, and listen, when you say, just so, for modern listeners that are younger than you and I are, soccer style is now the way everybody kicks. Yeah. But back then, exactly. it was straight on. Everybody were toe kickers. They kicked straight ahead. They had these crazy boots. And they'd strap them up, a square toe on the end of the boot. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a completely different uh, strategy uh, to, to approaching a football, kicking a football. Yeah. So I was a, I was a, a you know, an enigma back then. Back then. Right. A, a freak, so to speak. But anyway, this guy was soccer style that kicked at Tennessee. I mean, it was starting, it was starting to happen. Mm-hmm. And he kicked barefooted, you know, and they used the top of their foot, blah blah blah, to hit the ball. So all going to a full full blown soccer uh, style kicking lesson. But anyway, we go back to Kenya. I go to a boarding school. I play soccer, rugby, and uh, a little basketball at this boarding school. And but all all the while, I had this goal that I was going to come back to Tennessee and try out as a place kicker at University of Tennessee. So no such thing as email, no such thing as YouTube, no such thing as uh, all of these fancy uh, groups that can produce your uh, little highlight films for you. 
that these kids send to colleges now. So I just go play rugby and kick the ball through the uprights and play soccer and with my buddies. And then when I was a senior, I wrote a letter to the head coach at the University of Tennessee. I said, I'd like a scholarship <laughs> to be the place kicker at the University of Tennessee. And amazingly, he actually wrote me back. The head coach did. I really? bet he just never got a letter from Africa. I bet he never got a letter from Africa. And who was this so at the time? He, it was Bill Battle. Bill okay. Battle was the head coach. And a matter of fact, he ended up becoming the athletic director at Alabama uh, during many of Nick, Nick Saban's years. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, Coach Battle uh, sends me this letter. He said, listen, we would love to have you come to the University of Tennessee, uh, but we've never seen you kick. We have no idea how you would do as a kicker. No, no game film. He said, so we would like you to come as a walk-on. Well, I had no idea what a walk-on was. I was so proud of that. I went around and showed all my friends. I want to be a walk-on. University of <laughs> and I, I didn't realize most walk-ons end up crawling off okay <laughs> <laughs> exactly so so i i arrived at tennessee and uh first practice they just I, I couldn't wait to get that white helmet with the big t on the side and that orange jersey and all the all of the walk-ons were given white helmets but we just had a piece of tape on the front mine said duncan and then they gave us these green fishnet jerseys. And then we ran out on the field. They were just screaming at us, saying, green beans here, green beans there. <laughs> I ended up in a linebacker drill. Oh, wow. And uh, the guy in front of me just got busted up like you can't believe by this all-American linebacker getting ready for the season. And the coach looked at me and said, now, I'm not interested in you faking out. This guy just wants you run straight up so he can get a good hit on you. And, and I looked at him. I said, "Fully sign a bona like any you do a good chase and Peter come he was Kenyan. I just went to Swahili. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I was thought I was about to die. <laughs> and he, he he said he said, "Are you a kicker?" I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Go over to that field and never come back." I said, "Praise the Lord." <laughs> so I. I tell people no one was ever prouder or more thankful to be the 13th string place kicker at the University of Tennessee than oh, I was. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so anyway, the coach there, a guy named George Capico, he had a history of really developing guys uh, that were serious about the game. And I really loved sports. And I wanted to be a kicker, and I was willing to work at it. And, uh, you know, he, he, he had patience with me, helped me learn with a snap and hold a kick. And so within two years' time, I'd earned a – full scholarship. I'd gone from the 13th screen place kicker to the starting kicker at the University of Tennessee. Isn't that and something? Started for three started for three years there, and I still have. I kicked more field goals in a season than any kicker had ever done. and It, it was always a chance for me to give God the glory. Mm-hmm. I, I, I told people, I said, you know, God even has a verse in the Bible for place kickers. And they'd say, what's that? Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. says, do not be afraid of a sudden panic. I always say, have you ever been around a coach when his future is riding on the right foot of a guy that speaks Swahili and knows nothing about football? <laughs> I said, it, 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 you know, they, they just pat you on the back and say, go out there and just do your best. I said, you're crazy if you think that. Oh. <laughs> but I, I said, there's a verse, that verse said, don't be afraid of a sudden panic, said, nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. I said, that describes every defensive lineman I've ever known. Says, for the Lord will be your confidence, and he'll keep your foot from being caught. So I, I claim that verse every time I'd go out Amen. on the field. And, That's great. And so anyway, to this day, I still hold the record for the most field goals in a game uh, against Kentucky. I kicked five in a game against Kentucky. and but, but more than that, it was always a chance for me to just boldly talk about my faith in Christ because I found just like Tim Tebow type fellas know, if you don't say something about Jesus about every sentence, they'll try to find a way not to talk about it. Mm. So. 
So anytime the Lord would give me favor or an opportunity for an interview or open a door, and I would just try to just use that as an opportunity to share my faith in Christ and uh, talk about what it meant to, to know Jesus as your Savior. And I'd always say, hey, you know, there's a lot more things. There's things that are a lot more important in life than winning football games, kicking a football through the uprights. And I said, and that's having a personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. I remember one of my coaches told me one time, he said, Duncan said, my daddy was the best man I ever knew. He's in hell. I want to be there too. Mm. I said, well, I got news for you. So there's a Bible story about that. I said, mm-hmm. there was a guy that was already separated for eternity from the Lord. And he said, would you at least let me go back so I can tell my family they don't want to end up where I'm at. And, it, and it's too late. <laughs> right. So yeah. anyway, so, you know, God, God just gave me the privilege of playing with some great Christian young men. I played with Reggie White uh, at Tennessee and then with, uh, I got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, ended up getting cut, didn't make it in the NFL, kicked a 52-yard field goal against the Pittsburgh Steelers, got cut the next day. <laughs> so I don't know what it takes to make it in the NFL, but uh, I ended up playing in the USFL and did quite well with a team called the Memphis Showboats and kind of kind of took care of my my itch or my desire to play pro ball. I mean, it, it, was, it was a good experience, but I, I had a chance to go back to an NFL camp after that, but it, I played two years with the, in, in the USFL, and I was ready to move on. God yeah. called me to missions, and so I met a wonderful lady at the University of Tennessee called Andrea, and Andrea and I got married, and God gave us wonderful children, and I finished my seminary degree, and we ended up uh, heading to Port Elizabeth, South Africa. So we lived there 16 years serving in student and sports evangelism. Just used the model that I had uh, through – FTA. I was very active with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Tennessee, and we used that as a church planting strategy to get into schools, reach young people for Christ, and we'd see revival break out. And among these young people, they, they'll they'd just take the gospel. They didn't have to be they didn't have to be Bible scholars, just hungry for the Lord. It was it was exciting to mm-hmm. see what God did. That's great. So, did you? I'm trying to think of the years. What year did you arrive in South Africa? Uh, 1992. I finished my, my. I went to seminary by extension and w- served full time at a church in Cleveland, Tennessee. And, well, I would I would uh, take Mondays and go to Atlanta, Georgia, where New Orleans Baptist Seminary had an extension. Gotcha. And uh, I, I ended up uh, took me about four four and a half five years since I was working full time at uh, and doing a lot of speaking too with the with the youth evangelism type stuff. Uh, while I was at the church, so it, it okay. took me about four and a half years, I think, five years once I started, and I got 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 my uh, degree, and then we in 1992 moved to Port Elizabeth, South Africa. We were in South Africa in a really amazing period. Uh, well, that's what I was going to ask. I'm, I'm trying to do the history in my mind of yeah. the whole apartheid thing. Oh yeah, Mandela and... had just been fr- yeah Mandela had just been freed from prison. Okay, and uh, they were moving towards what they called the first free and fair election, where a black man had the privilege and opportunity to vote in South Africa, and uh, it was the Wild West <laughs> during that time period. We we were in more than a couple of very very dangerous situations that the Lord just protected us in. It was a, it was a it was a tough place to be during that time, but God protected us, and uh, we we were had a we just love South Africa. We love mm-hmm. our South African brothers and sisters, and we served there until 2008 when I came back with the, the International Mission Board to kind of help mobilize churches to engage unreached, unengaged peoples 
mm-hmm. you know, that uh, that did not have any gospel witness. So we tried to help train churches to, to, to do this kind of what we would call be the missionary church to a people group working with missionaries on the field that they would then go and identify ways to engage these people. And it was it was a real joy to do that for almost eight, nine years, if I'm not mistaken, 2008 okay. to 2015. So I want to, you know, what's great about these interviews is I learned things that I didn't know. Uh, much of your story I was familiar with, but um, I hadn't really made the connection with you being there soon after apartheid and witnessing really a yes. nation having to adjust on such a massive scale. Absolutely. And, and I know there was a significant clash culturally when that occurred. My understanding is that it was wonderful and glorious because of this new uh, freedom. And But on the other hand, the clash of the cultures, there was a, a tremendous amount of crime. It was not a yeah. stable period for this integration of the cultures. Yes. 2020, of course, yeah. everyone thinks pandemic, but also 2020 was a significant year in terms of race relations here in the United States. I wonder if anything from back in the early 90s and your experience in South Africa gave you a special perspective on what was occurring here in the United States in 2020. Well, I, I would say this. I, you know, Growing up in Africa, in Kenya, uh, I've been so blessed just to, you know, I, I, I didn't see color growing up. I, I, my friends were my African buddies. They taught me to speak Swahili. And I, we, you know, I, I think that was a real blessing in my life to just live cross-culturally uh the president mm-hmm. of the the guy the future president of kenya's son was uh not not living in my room but it, in the room right beside me in my dorm at the uh, mm-hmm. rift valley academy and you know we we had a lot of the the, the political leaders students went there because they would want to come to school in the states and you know, I, I just I just grew up loving my African brothers and sisters, and uh, not only that, we, we, there's a huge Indian population in Kenya, and you know, many different tribal groups, and you just come, came to understand how tribalism affects everything in Africa politically too. Mm. Uh, so moving to to South Africa and being there during that that season. That that was one of the great things about sports evangelism. You know, when when you get inside those white lines, whether it's on a soccer field or a basketball court or a, a rugby pitch, as they call it, uh, you know, the rules are the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was kind of crazy because uh, the, the white South Africans have always been known to be crazy about the sport of rugby, and uh, and the uh, what I would call the indigenous tribal peoples of, uh, of southern africa you know they're they're like the most most of africa they love soccer soccer they're soccer crazy mm-hmm. but during that time basketball became like this popular sport just because the nba was was and, and they had technology going to where they had tv they could show highlight films of the nba on tv and so it's like basketball courts started springing up all over the country and nobody had a clue how to play basketball oh wow what a so here wild I am opportunity a, right? here i am a soccer yeah here i am a soccer playing place kicker from uh the states who actually was five foot ten and could dunk only because my name was duncan <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i just tell people yeah i've been dunking all my life man. Ah, that's but, great uh, I, i've got about a two inch vertical but, <laughs> uh, but anyway we started so it was a metaphor you didn't literally dunk no i didn't okay, gotcha. <laughs> so I, I, but we started bringing 
basketball teams over from the state to go into school. They gave us wide open access to the schools, and we just went in and just shared the truth and love. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the and, and just they would ask us questions about America, and we could ask them about their culture, and we would just say, "Hey, you know, the most important thing though is we want you to know that what changed our life is our our relationship with Christ." And, um, yeah, there's a there. That that was so much of of the context of what we were able to do there because the doors were just wide open and that what we would call we might think of them as the ghettos but the, the the townships of South Africa was where much of our ministry was focused. Mm-hmm. We just partnered with our national brothers and sisters and you know I learned early on not to be the coach but train coaches to work with coaches mm-hmm. and uh, so they they're you know the same discipleship multiplying idea, you know, training in the sport. We then used it to identify Christian coaches and work with them specifically, but, but open the doors to clinics for all, you know, so it, it just, the Lord just opened incredible doors. And yeah, we, we were in that country during a time when racial relations were like a tinder box, but I I will have to say this, you know, there's so many people that have differing opinions about Nelson Mandela, but I, I will tell you this, he's from the people group that we worked with, the Tulsa people group that's spoken with a clique. And Nelson Mandela, yeah, he was a socialist, he'll tell you he was. Uh, but he also was a realist, and he, he made some huge decisions when South Africa gained independence. He said, you know, we, we, need, we need the economy that the white culture has, has brought, you know, enabling South Africa to kind of be a first world, third world country that mm-hmm. you don't find anywhere else in all of, uh, of Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa, anyway, and uh, he he helped institute a, 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 a ministry called the Truth and Reconciliation uh, thing, where people kind of aired out their differences. I remember and that. He just said, "We need, we need, you know, we need each other. We are one South Africa. We're going to be the Rainbow Nation." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I tell people, yeah, there was times that I thought it was more like a stew pot, a chunk of potato, <laughs> chunk of meat, <laughs> a carrot. But you know, he that, that there was that there was that that push from him, and his his he had such uh, a hold on the African people, man. I tell you, rather than it becoming a civil war in that country, he he led it to be a uh, a, a time of peace and restoration. And you know, there's a great movie out there, Invictus. You know, yes. where they South Matt Africa Damon. won the yeah, Matt Damon, mm-hmm. and uh, where where. Mandela was there on the sideline. I mean, on the field when they won the trophy, the rugby trophy. But he also was, you know, he, he just he found ways to bridge barriers between the people. So I, I have a, a great deal of respect for him. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot from from him, you know. And there's there's people that have you know strong opinions either way on that. But I'll tell you right now, he's a, he's a, he's an icon in Africa, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was to me his leadership was what. Out, save that country from just descending into a, what what could have been a really really difficult time for everybody. Sure. What was his religious affiliation? I don't think I've seen that. Uh, before. I, he would tell you that he, you know, he he is Methodist by by uh, upbringing. You know, that, that that's what. Yeah. Did you ask? If you ask, South Africa would say they're seventy two percent Christian, but I, I would say I, I would say so. Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you born again? No. I'm a West End. You know, that'd be a mess. I'm a Wesley, Wesley, or I'm a Roman. I'm a Catholic. Are you a Christian? Yes, yes, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Wesley. But are you born again? Do you know Christ? Oh no, I'm not born again. What is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I used to say that was a, that that 72 percent Christian was about the most inaccurate 
I mean, we would go into schools and it would just be like gospel harvest because we would ask, do you know for certain if you would die right now, heaven was your home? And, and no idea. Well, but I, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But no, I, I don't know heaven is my home. Can you know that? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we would just be able to share the gospel freely in the schools because of that with these things that we would bring over. And it was just, it was a wonderful opportunity that God gave us. That's fabulous. I, I wish I had more time to talk with you and record this. Unfortunately, we are, we're running out of time here, but I would like to give you just a, a final word, Alan, on anything you'd like to share from your heart. When I contacted you about this, I uh, asked what you'd want to talk about, what you're passionate about. You said evangelism. So, yeah. Well, I hope, I hope I've been able to share my heart today. I will say this, the, the greatest tool that God gave us to share, share our faith in, in South Africa was our, our family. Uh, my wife uh, loved music. She was very involved with a, a school for the deaf. She actually uh, had, had them compete in a national competition there in South Africa. We were able to share, share our faith and do a Sunday school at that at school for the deaf and children with cerebral palsy. That was a great ministry that we were able to be involved in there. Uh, our kids' connections with their sports teams and their schools allowed us to get into those schools and then from those schools that, that gave us the opportunity to, you know, have credibility in other schools all around Port Elizabeth and end up doing it all over Eastern and Southern Africa by uh, just, just by those doors that got open. And so I'm so grateful for just, you know, uh, a, a wife that raised those kids to be excited and enthusiastic about their faith in Christ. And these teens coming over from the States had such an influence on my kids, my, our partners. It wasn't just something that Andrea and I did. You know, it was a partnership in the gospel that we had with, with our Southern Baptist partners and our and, and, and other believers that just walked alongside us. And then our national brothers and sisters, that, that to me was just the greatest privilege, just working with them to, to see them passionate about reaching their people for Christ. And for those of our listeners who don't know what you mean when you say national, that means people who are followers of Christ in the people group, in the yes. nation where you're serving as a missionary. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's okay. right. South Africans. Yeah, I could just easily say South African brothers and sisters in Christ who want to see their country, want to Christ, and want to impact the world for Christ. Amen. That's awesome. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it so hey. much. Thanks for coming well, on. I, I, I appreciate the invitation. It's been a joy, brother. Thank you so much. Same here. God bless you, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville. It is copyrighted by Brett A. Mirani, 2022.